Good evening, everyone. This is our weekly Soul of the Parsha class for Parashat Vayetze. And our topic for this evening is why do so many people experience life as a series of descents? Their experience is that as life goes on, it gets them more and more down, not in the sense of being depressed necessarily, that's a negative reaction, but in the sense of being more and more involved in these worldly things and uh, this worldly things. And, and life gets tougher and life poses more and more challenges. And why is this? What is the purpose of all these descents, all these experiences of going down, of feeling more and more like I'm being exiled from where the spiritual comfortable abode that I would like to inhabit? Why is life so hard and why do we fall in life and we experience all these things? This is our question for today. The topic this year, we're focusing on the first Aliyah, the first segment of each parsha. So the first segment of Vayetze describes Yaakov, the third father, the third patriarch, as he is leaving Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, for the very first time in his life. He has grown up sheltered and protected in the land of Israel. He was a wholehearted person who dwells in tents. That's how he was described, a dweller of tents. And he was an introvert and he was sheltered in Eretz Israel. But now he has to run away from his twin brother who wants to kill him. And he's leaving his homeland for the first time in his life. And so with what is described in this segment is how he goes to, reaches a, a certain place and he starts praying. According to the sages, he found the evening, the night prayer, the Jewish night prayer, the third prayer of the day. He, he found it, he invented by davening in that place, it, it's nightfall. And then he gathers some stones and puts them around his head and he goes to sleep. And he dreams the famous dream of Jacob's ladder. And he sees the angels going up and down the ladder. And God reveals himself to him and tells him that he shouldn't be afraid and that he's going to protect him uh, in the long journey, treacherous journey ahead. And then Jacob wakes up. And although he is not afraid in the regular sense, he now has a new kind of fear, a, a, a godly fear, godly awe, a sense of awe that God's presence is in this place. And he names this place Bet-El, which means the house of God. And he vows that he that if God will indeed protect him uh, throughout this journey, and he will go back safely, come back safely to his father's home in Eretz Israel, uh, then he will be completely loyal to God. And he takes the stone on which he rested his head and he pours oil over it and he sanctifies this place. And this is the subject of the first, the first Aliyah, the opening of this parasha. So we have a lot of things to figure out here. We, we, we need to figure out what does it mean that Jacob is coming out of the land of Israel, what is the meaning of the dream, the, the ladder with the angels going up and down? What is the purpose of those stones or stone that he gathered and then he poured oil onto them? And what is the sense of awe that he had and, and, and all this? So we want to start by the, with the first question. The first question is, what is the deeper meaning of Jacob coming out of the land of Israel into what in Hebrew we call chutzlaret, outside of the land of Israel? Physical space in, in Jewish Torah concepts is divided into very unequally, but the, it's not a question of, of, of uh, uh, size of territory. It's a question of significance. Physical space is divided into the land of Israel and outside of the land of Israel because the land of Israel is a different place. It's a sanctified land. So the coming out of the land of Israel, and that's the name of the parsha, Vayetze means, and he came out. And he went out. It's the coming out of Jacob, out of this uh, shielded place. So what does this signify? And we have to remember that here Jacob, he, he grew up just like his father, Yitzchak, Isaac. Yitzchak was sheltered throughout of his life in the land of Israel. He never came out. And until this point, he was just like his father. 
But now, it's the, the time for him has come to identify with his grandfather. His grandfather actually grew up outside of the land of Israel. And, and he has to come out and be a man of the world in, in a certain sense and face the evils of this world and his evil uncle and so on. And all the things that, that happened to him in the, in, during the rest of the parasha. It's all of his dealings with unexpected occurrences, with not being able to marry the woman that he wants before marrying her sister, which he doesn't want, and dealing with her father, the uncle, and so on. So, now, we have an expression in Hebrew that the land of Israel is a land you go up to and you go down from. It's in everyday Hebrew language. If you go into the land of Israel, it's called making aliyah, which is ascending, going up. Eretz Israel is, so to speak, above, spiritually above the other places. It's a holy land. So if you go into Eretz Israel, it's called, we don't just call to immigrate, and we don't say just to immigrate and to emigrate. We say to go up and to go down, to ascend and to descend. Going into Eretz Israel in order to live there is called an ascent. And going out of Eretz Israel is called a descent. So coming out of Eretz Israel is a descent. And the idea is that it's really a whole, a huge metaphor for the soul coming down into this world. Jacob living in Eretz Israel up until this point, protected, sheltered in a holy land with his holy parents. This is like the soul when it's, when it's in heaven, when it's in the, the realm of souls. It hasn't really experienced the hardships of this world. Of course, they experienced some hardships, but there's no comparison what he's going to experience outside of Israel and to what he experiences um, uh, within. So the land of Israel is like the land of souls. And the outside of the land of Israel is symbolizes this world, the hardships of this world. And this descent, this is why it's called the descent, the descent, the coming out of the Holy Land into the, into the land, outside the land of Israel, is like the descent of the soul into this world and into the hardships of this world. And we can see this very beautifully alluded to in the names of the two particular places that the first verse refers to. It says that he came out of Be'er Sheva, which literally means the well of seven or the seventh well, uh, and also the well of oath. It's, there was an oath that was made uh, around that well. And he goes to a place called Haran. Now, what is the meaning of these two names? So, uh, Be'er Sheva is, again, Be'er is well or fountain. And Sheva means seven, but it also means oath. And the idea is that when the soul is in heaven, before it comes down into the world, it's being put under an oath. The oath is, make sure to remain a righteous soul. Don't let the, the world taint you and make you forget your true essence and where you came from and what you're really made of. You're a divine soul, and the soul is put under an oath that it uh, must preserve, maintain its pureness, its purity. So, Be'er Sheva is also the place of where the soul is given that oath. And in Hebrew, there's another word play, the same root, the same three-letter root, Sheva, which means to, to put under an oath, it also, when, when pronounced a little differently, it has to do with being full or being satiated. That is, and the, and the idea is that when that oath is given to the soul, when the, when the soul is made to promise that it's going to uh, do its best to remain pure, it's also supplied, it's sort of being satiated, it's being made full, it's given all the powers that it needs to observe that oath. So it's a place of spiritual plenty. We feel we don't feel um, hungry. We don't feel lacking. We're full, right? To be savea, savea is the same word as sheva, shvua, means to be spiritually full. I'm full in the land of Israel. I feel the presence of God. I'm, I feel divine consciousness all the time. So this is why it's be'er sheva. I can go to the well, and it fills me up spiritually in Eretz Yisrael, in the, in the world of the souls. Haran, the, the particular place where he's going to, is the same word as anger, Charon Af. 
And this symbolizes this world. This world is a world that because it tends to forget God and to pretend God doesn't exist. And it's a world in which evil vanquishes most of the time. And it's a world, it's like a clouded world. It's a world in which the clouds hide the sun's light. So this screen of clouds, so to speak, or this screen that hides the divine light is called a masach shil charon af, a curtain of anger, because it, well, it's, it's two angers here. It angers God that we forget about him. And also we become full of anger when we forget God. We, we feel that this world is so bad that we're full of anger. So he's leaving Be'er Sheva, the well of spiritual uh, nourishment and fulfillment, and where he's given the oath to remain righteous. And he goes to the place that is that suggests this, whether it's mundane or divine anger. The anger is really the separation itself, the separation of the lower of this world from the higher world. So on a deep level, we're talking about the descent of the soul into this world. Now, of course, this isn't arbitrary. This is part of his life's mission. He was sent there by his parents, and it's part of, of the um, uh, a divine decree. It's providence. It's providential that the third and ultimate father figure of Judaism, uh, uh, after whom we're all named, because his name is later going to be Israel, uh, his descent isn't an accident. It's something that we should all learn from. The actions of the fathers are a signal, a model for their descendants to follow. So we learn from this that we all need to experience this descent. The soul needs to descend into this world. And not only does it need to descend into this world, but the descent goes on and on. Every stage of our lives, it's a further stage of descent. When we're just a baby, we've descended from a soul to be inhabiting a body. As we become around three years old, it's a further descent because the, now we're being educated. We're not uh, given free choice to roam around and just play all day. And as we get to our bat or bar mitzvah, then there's more duties and there's more also challenges because we're, we, we begin to have inner conflict. We begin to have stronger urges. And, and we're going deeper into this world. And as we get married, it's a further descent. descent marriage, marrying another person and, and bearing the responsibility of a home is another level. And then getting having children is another level. It's all these are stages in the ever-growing journey of the soul downwards into this world. And, and what is the purpose of all this? The purpose of all this is, of course, for the sake of of a greater ascent. That is, we know the rule. The rule is that the soul descends, and in fact, this whole world was created, this whole world of, of which is descended from God, and it's called the lower realms. So the world in its entirety, in each and every soul, go down in order to confront something and deal with something, and by virtue of this, to be able to ascend to a level that was higher than before we came to this world. And this is what we want to we all know this, but we want to get a better understanding of this in this class. But we want to start, and this is where it gets really interesting, with the angels. Why, in this particular instance, that Jacob is coming out of the land of Israel, which again is symbolic of all these stations of descent of the soul going further and further down into being invested in mundane reality, why, in this particular situation, he has a dream, and the dream, well, to begin with, it's a nighttime experience. That also suggests the movement from a place of light to a place of darkness. And, right, he's coming out of Israel it's during the day, and as, as he gets to this point, which is like the borderline between Eretz Israel and outside, night descends, night falls. And, again, this is symbolic of the dark, the darkness of this world that he's about to enter. And then he has a dream, right? Because nighttime is, is characterized by dreams. And in this dream, he dreams of a ladder and he dreams of angels going up and angels going down. So the sages interpret that it's two different kinds of angels, not the same angels. We have the angels of Eretz Israel, 
and the angels of outside of Eretz Yisrael, right? That's because we're now in a borderline state. This is the twilight zone between Eretz Yisrael and outside. And in this twilight zone, we have the angels of Eretz Yisrael, and they're the ones going up. Why are they going up? They're going up because they can't leave Eretz Yisrael. So they're, they went with him until this point, and now they're going back up. And they're supplanted, they're replaced by new angels going down, and these angels are the angels of Chutzlart, of outside of Eretz Yisrael, and they're going to take their place and accompany him. And the, for the angels, it's absolutely separate. You're either an Eretz Yisrael angel, or you're a, you're a the rest of the world angel. But we can, we can see that it's really deeper than that. It's not just that it's the Eretz Yisrael angels have finished their purpose, so they're now going up. It, we can say that they're in a constant upward motion because that's what Eretz Yisrael is all about. Eretz Yisrael is all about going upwards and upwards. It's a high land, right? You go up to it, you go down from it. And it's a land of, that's all about ascending. It's all about ascent. So that's why, in a, that's a deeper understanding of why the Eretz Yisrael angels are ascending. They're not, they're not just ascending, right? The simple explanation is they're ascending because they, they, this is as far as we can go. Now we're going back up. A deeper understanding is that that's what they do. They ascend. Eretz Yisrael angels, the spirituality, the energy of Eretz Yisrael is ascending. And then, same goes for the non-Eretz Yisrael angels. They're not just descending because now their job begins. They're descending because that's what they do. They're, they're, they're in a state of descent. The, the, the essence or the, the deep energy of a space that's not Eretz Yisrael. And by the way, if you're living outside of Eretz Yisrael, but you're creating a holy place, you're creating a Jewish community or a synagogue or a place of prayer, or a place of study, at that moment, that becomes Eretz Yisrael. That becomes a, bi- a piece of Eretz Yisrael. So it's not just the actual physical place, because sometimes you can be in Eretz Yisrael in an unholy place, and then you go to outside of Eretz Yisrael and you're in a holy place, and there's you can experience more holiness in a holy place outside of Eretz Yisrael than you can sometimes in an unholy place in Eretz Yisrael. So ultimately, we wanted to be, we, we wish that Eretz Yisrael would be completely holy, and then we wish for Eretz Yisrael to expand and cover the entire world. We want all the world to be Eretz Yisrael. But for the time being, in this story, there's still a separation. So, again, the angels of Eretz Yisrael, the energy of Eretz Yisrael is going up, and the energy, the angels, of outside of Eretz Yisrael have to do with descending. The essence of the space, of, of the unholy space, is the essence of getting you further and further down into this world. So we see, we see these two angels. Now, the thing is, Yaakov isn't an angel. He looks at these angels. He's the dreamer. He's not an Eretz Yisrael angel. And he's not a non-Eretz Yisrael angel. He's, he's, he dreams of the angels. And this leads us to a very important point. There's a verse in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah, a prophet. And in that book, there's a famous verse. And the verse is actually said by an angel to someone who was called Yehoshua, who was the first grand priest of the second temple. It's, it's not really important. The important thing is the verse. He tells him, I shall now give you permission to move about, to walk about these attendees. And he points to the other angels. Now you have permission. So the, the simple meaning is now you can walk among angels. Right? That's the simple meaning. All these angels are here. And now you're, you're receiving now permission to walk among angels. But if you read the Hebrew verse, it's far more interesting than that. He says, I shall give you moves or walks, or the, the ability to walk, the power of walking, which we'll explain in a minute, amidst all these. And then, but he, again, the translation is the attending angels or the attendees. But the literal meaning is the standards. The angels are called standers. They stand. They know how to stand. It, it appears that they don't know how to move. Angels can only stand in one place. That's what it sounds like. And I will make you a walker. A walker among standers. So we need to figure this out. How can we say that an angel is a, a stander? That they only stand 
in one place. And in this dream, we, we know that the angels uh, go down and go up, so they move. We also know that angels move in circles, they sort of dance around the world and sing their songs. So the angels are constantly moving. Why are they called, why are they called stationary, unmoving, standing? And the human being, this holy uh, grand priest, uh, which is really, again, symbolic of, of humanity at, at large, is called a walker. Why are angels called standing and, and the person called walking? So the idea is that angels are bound to one form of movement. Whether it's circular, or whether it's going up, or it's going down, it's one movement, and they can't change it. They can't change direction, they can't uh, stop, they can't increase their velocity. They they have this. They're one. They have one. They're one track minds, and and they follow this one track. A walker is someone who doesn't just move according to the same repetitive movement. He can increase the speed. He can change direction, and he can go further and further from one level to the next. The angels that circle the the world, so to speak. They each have their own circle. They can't move up and down those circles. If you belong to one level, that's your level, that's your song. You can't change your song, you can't change your level. But the human being is able to be a walker in the sense that you can go up or down. And, and this is, but by the way, it's beautiful if you know the physical, I mean, the, in physics, what is the definition of inertia? In regular, everyday English, when you say inert, you mean unmoving. Inert doesn't move, but that's not the, the physics definition. The physics definition is inertia is a state of being of, of not changing your velocity, which means not changing, not increasing your speed or changing your direction. If I take a rocket and I shoot it out into space or I throw a stone hard enough and it goes into space, it starts moving in the same direction with the same speed because it's in a vacuum. It doesn't slow down. It doesn't change direction. This in physics is called an inert movement. This is inertia, although it's moving all the time. It's inert because it's going of its own prior motion and no new action or movement or change of direction or increase of speed or decrease of speed even uh, doesn't happen to us. This is called in physics inertia. This is exactly the situation with angels. Angels are inert in the physics sense of the word. They follow a particular pattern of movement and they can never change it. So they're inert. So they're called omdim, which is standing, stationary, unmoving. Again, they move, but it's a in movement of inertia. So the idea is that the human being is called a walker. A walker isn't, is the opposite of inertia. He can go further and further and higher and higher. And this is the advantage, or this is the quality that humans have in which humans are superior to angels. And the idea is, where do we get this from? And the answer is, we get it from confronting this world. By going down into this world, we become walkers. The reason the angels are inert is because they're angels. They're only spiritual. They don't know what it's like to confront the physical world. They just know what it's like to be in heaven and to do their what they were created to do. They don't confront the evil inclination. They don't confront temptations. They don't confront, uh, uh, you know, confusion. They don't need to have a, an inner battle be between good and evil. And they don't need to face the body and everything the body entails. And But by virtue of us dealing with those things, it makes us, it turns us into walkers, that is, creatures who are able to ascend and go further and further um, upwards. This is also, the same idea is repeated in a beautiful Hasidic interpretation of an idiom, a Talmudic idiom. The Talmudic idiom says, this world is like a wedding which passes away. And, and you should... Make use of every moment. That's basically what it says. Make use of every moment. You get a chance to learn a bit of Torah. Take it. You have a chance to do a good deed. Seize that opportunity. It's the Jewish carpe diem. Seize the day. And But then the expression is, 
the world which we leave, that is, which we're destined to leave at some point, is likened to a wedding. A wedding is a one-night celebration, and before you know it, it's gone, it's disappeared, so make sure you do whatever you can in this world. And so it absolutely goes along with, with this. If this world is uh, the place that you can get the energy to continue ascending, you'd better make use of it. But what is the beautiful new interpretation? So the Hebrew, the exact Hebrew term is this world which we leave is like a wedding. So, but, but then, the, the, if you know the Hebrew, it's not Hebrew to remake, but if you know how to read it, it, you can read it also as saying, this world which gives us the strength to move. It's not just to leave this world, it's to go out of this world. And so, in, in, in Aramaic, it's Alma de Azlinan Minei, the world that from which we start walking or start moving. So it can be read as the world that gives us the power to start moving. It's this world, this transient wedding celebration uh, that's very, very hard and very tough, uh, gives us the power that we need to start being movers, to start moving and going further and further up. And by the way, a beautiful, amazing, if we're into physics, and we're in physics mode a little bit, and we spoke about inertia, there's another amazing uh, physics uh, metaphor or parable that's just amazingly beautiful about this exactly, exact idea of why this world, confronting physicality, confronting the material world, confronting the darkness of this world, as angry as this world can be, right? Charon, Charan, gives us the energy to be walkers or movers that are constantly ascending. And so the metaphor comes from the jetpack. What is the jetpack? Astronauts in space uh, can't move. You can't move in space. How do we move here? We move here by pushing the ground, right? We have a ground, we have, there's gravity. And if I, every step I take, every ladder I climb or, or staircase that I climb, what am I really doing? With every step, I'm merely pushing downwards. I'm rebelling against the ground. And by pushing the ground downwards, I'm really pu pushing myself upwards. That's what, that's what walking is. And that's what climbing is all about. Walking is, uh, is horizontal. But when you think about climbing, it's more powerful. You climb by a staircase, by pushing the ground downwards, and that pushes you upwards. You don't have that in space. There's nothing to push, right? Space is like the realm of souls. And in the realm of souls, you don't have a body that you can only move in inertia. You come out of your spaceship, and then you push the spaceship. That's the last thing you have to push. And then you start moving. And if, if nothing happens, you're going to continue moving forever in space. That one little push you gave to the spaceship, which is a little bit like Earth, the spaceship, it's a big mass, gets you moving, and if you're not tied to the ship or you don't have a jetpack, you move endlessly like an angel. You're, you're a marooned or a, a you know, an un, unhinged astronaut in space. So what do, what do you do? So enter the jetpack. The jetpack is something you put on your back, and it's full of substance, certain gas. And then what you do is, is that you, when you want to move, let's say forward, then you have the jetpack ex expel or push out a certain piece of the substance backwards. And it's just like here, when you take a stone and you throw it in one direction, it pushes you a little bit backwards. Or if you throw it in a big rock and you push in one direction, you're, you're moved in the opposite direction. The same thing happens here. Although you don't have a ground, or an object to push, you carry something with you on your back, and if you expel a little bit of the substance to your right, you will move to your left. And if you expel it uh, to your left, you'll move to your right. And where did you get the substance from? Of course, you got it from Earth. So the, the metaphor is that we go down this, into this world, and we do a lot of work, and really what we're doing is we're building our jetpack. And when we have our jetpack and then we leave this world, we can use the energy that we've accumulated, the good deeds and the mitzvot and the, everything we learned 
And everything we used in this world in order to fill up our jetpack, we can use that to go further and further upwards in the world to come, in the higher worlds. So again, the energy to go further and further up comes by virtue of being present in a body in this world and digging and working hard in, with the physicality of this world. And this hard work pays. It gives us the energy we need to go further and further upwards. Beautiful, beautiful uh, technological metaphor. Now, why is this like this? What, what is it about this world, the hardships of this world, the darkness, the mysteries, the falls, the pitfalls of this world that makes us, turns us into walkers, into climbers, into those who go further and further up? What, what is it about this world that makes us, that, that gives us this advantage over the angels? So the answer, I think, is very simple. The answer is, that every time we reach a new confrontation, that we were sure that we know, we know what we need to do, we know our strength, we know we're, we're in control, we figured this world out, and then boom, comes this new challenge, this new hardship. And then we realize we're, we don't know. We're weak, we're not strong, we're not in control. And at that moment, there's no other option but to go further back inside and upwards, and to reconnect with our root, with our, the root of our being, this, with our source, with the essence of our souls, and with their godly origin, with God himself. And because that's what we do, we're forced to do this whenever we confront a new hardship, a new level of hardships. So whenever we go further down, further into the hardships of this world, and it's a new level of confrontation, we're, we're, we, we, there's no other option but to, on the inside, go further upwards, inside, upwards into the root of our being and draw new energy and draw new inspiration and draw new insights. And we need to, so as we're going further down, we need on, on the outside, as we're going further down on the outside, we need to, on the inside, go further and further upwards. So really what happens is this is the descent for the sake of ascent. As we're going further down, it forces us to carve into ourselves and to dig out in or within ourselves a higher, the, a, a, the higher root of our being, to go further and deeper into our essence and draw new inspiration and new power, because otherwise we're not going to go through this new hardship. We can give up. But if we don't give up, this is what we have to do. So the descent is not just for the sake of a later ascent. The descent and the ascent are happening simultaneously, or almost simultaneously. The further you go down, the further it forces you at, in this life, now, to ascend further up, and so the descent for the sake of ascent is happening as you live your life, as you confront the new hardships, whether it's from your family or from work or financial reasons or whatever it is. This new thing that you're dealing with now is all happening on purpose so that you connect to the higher reservoirs of your soul. So you need to go further and further connected to your soul root. And this is something angels don't do. That's where they're stuck in the same level, in the same movement. So again, now we have a combination of going down on the outside and going up on the inside. So now, speaking of Jacob coming out of Eretz Israel, he's now in Eretz Israel, and now he's coming out of Eretz Israel. But as he's coming out of Eretz Israel, he needs also to connect to a degree that he never had to connect with the upward motion of being further connected upwards that would keep him. It's a bit like, you know, when you're a snap, snap, snapling, how do you call this? When you're, you know, when you're lowering yourself into a ravine or into a chasm from a mountain and you need, the further down you go, the harder you need to, the stronger you need to be tied above. So the further down you go, uh, the 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 more powerfully you need to strengthen your connection above, 
And this is what, so on the outside, the name of this parasha is Vayetze, coming out, out of land of Israel into this world or descending. But on the deeper level, it's ascending. Now we can go back and think about those angels. On, being on this twilight borderline, Jacob dreams of angels, Eretz Israel angels going up, and non-Eretz Israel angels going down. And he sees them, he sees these movements, and it's really teaching him, you now have to learn both movements. So up until now, we said a person, a human being, is more than an angel. He's not like an angel, because the angel is, has only one trajectory or one type of movement, and he can't change it. If you're an Eretz Israel angel, you know all you know is to go upwards. This, if 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 if, if as a human being you try to imitate only that angel. You become some monk in some monastery someplace. You become ascetic and you don't want to marry and you don't want to have money and you don't want to have property and you don't, want to, you don't want to see this world and you want to be like the angel that goes up. If you identify only with the downward going angels, the non-Eretz Israel angels, then you want to not think about spirituality at all. Leave me alone. I don't want to think about God. I don't want to think about my soul. I just want to think about making money or having a big house or having as much fun as I can. But he sees those two angels and he realizes, I am going to need to combine those two movements. In order to be a human being, you need to be two angels. It's not being no angel. You need to be have both angels within you working. You need the downward going angel, not in order to have fun in this world, but in order to confront this world and deal with it and work with it. And, and not be afraid of it, and face whatever it is you need to face, and not run away, and, 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 and you know, face happily every challenge you get, and you realize, okay, now this is my work, so I'm going to go further down into this darkness, into this hardship, and I'm going to do what I need to do. But you also very much need to identify and have within you the upward-going angel, because if you're only descending, you may forget your soul root, and be detached, God forbid, from your soul root. So you need to have the upward-going angel. And you need to have both of them at the same time. As you physically and emotionally and psychologically descend into this world and deal with those hardships, you need to spiritually go further and further higher and be constantly connected to a higher place that will help you deal with the lower place before you. You need to be both angels. Now we see this beautifully in the very end of the Parsha. There's a really a, a, a circle being closed here. There's closure. In the end of the Parsha, it's the end of the 22 years in which Jacob spends in Haran, in this place of anger, and he starts his journey back to Eretz Israel. So it's really a, cl a closed circle. And, and again, he meets angels. And then, when he meets the end, and, and, the, and the sages say, these are the Eretz Israel angels that he left. When he left, right, he had, again, again, according to the Pshat, he leaves the Eretz Israel angels behind, and he goes and identifies with the non-Eretz Israel agents. But according to our interpretation now, he's really, he, what he, he, he needs is to, on the inside, be still very much connected to those upward angels. On the inside. On the outside, he's now working with the non-Eretz Israel downward-going angels, because he's going into Haran and into the evil, the evil uncle and all the things that he has to deal with. So at the end of the parasha, he goes, goes back to Eretz Israel and he meets the Eretz Israel angels. But then something amazing happens. He, found the, he calls the place, he says, he saw that it is a camp of God, or God's camp. That's at the very end of the parasha, we have this verse. He, sees, he says this place is God's camp, that is a camp of angels, but he doesn't call this place just God's camp. He calls it, in Hebrew, it's Machanaim. Machanaim means two camps, or twin camps. And the idea is that he sees now both angels together. So let's explain what it means. It means in the first dream, he saw angels going up and, a, and other angels going down. It was two separate things. At the end of the parsha, he sees both angels at one and the same time, and he calls the place the twin camps, the two camps of angels. So the idea is in the beginning, his consciousness was 
that you can either be an upward going angel or a downward going angel. And I'm going to have to figure out that up until now, I was in an Eretz Yisrael state of mind. And that meant that I was going up and now I'm going to Chutzlaat, outside of Eretz Yisrael, and I have to be in a state of going down. But by the end of the parasha, he realizes he's learned the lesson that we're now talking about. He learned that they have to coexist. And that's the whole purpose of his descent into Haran, which is really the descent of the soul into this world. And it's even more beautiful because the word camp, what does it mean to camp? Lachanot. It means to rest, not to be in a state of motion. And we said that the angels are inert. So the two camps, machanaim, the two camps allude to two forms of inertia, the upward-going inertia and the downward-going inertia. It's lachanot. Both of them are machanei. It's a place of rest, a place of, you know, they do it. It's very, it's very easy for them to go up. It's very, if you just want to go up in this world, then go to a monastery, lock yourself up in a monastery. It's very, it's rest. And also, if you want to do everything about, everything that interests you is just this world. You just want to rest on some hammock on some beach somewhere. Then it's also a kind of rest. It's a rest that's going to pass. But it's for the for the time being, it's a rest. But if you take those two restful, two camps, two these two machanot, two forms of rest, and you put them together, you have a very restless, in the best possible way, life. The life of a walker, the life of a mover, the life who has both inert movements, that each one in itself is it, you know, aspires to a kind of rest. But when you have both of them at the same time, then your your life is the opposite of resting, but in a very in the in the best way possible. That you are very much whole with your downward movement. And you know this is yeah, I know there's a new challenge coming. I knew I knew it's going to come. I didn't know exactly what it's going to be. But I, I knew that life is all about more and more challenges. And there's another motion. I also know that as I'm facing this, I'm going to reach further up. So you have both movements, and they create the movement of the, of the walker. Now, going back to the details of the opening of the parasha, just to see that what we have here is, up until now, it was just is the basic broad idea. The idea is that Jacob, coming out of Eretz Israel to the outside world, is really the soul descending into this world, and also each and every stage of descent. And then he sees the, the, the dream of the two angels, and he realizes, now I have to start working on combining these two movements, because I'm going to go further down, I have to go further up at the same time. Now we're going to look at some of the details, and they're going to give us some very helpful tips for life as to how to maintain this combination. And Sandra is very happy with the with the with the tip, the actual tip. So the tips go like this. So it starts, it starts with the very opening verse. The very opening verse is that he gets to this place, which is still unnamed. He's going to call this place the house of God. But he the first thing he does is in Hebrew it's Vaifgabamakom. It's a very special verb, but the interpretation is that he started praying. The first thing that he did was praying. He didn't say, well, let's let's figure out what the language here is and who's against who and what do you do and what's the currency. You know, he landed, it's like landing in the airport of a new country. So you need to figure out, you know, the currency and the language and how to, how to order a taxi and how to find a hotel. That's not the first thing he does. He's going to do that later. The first thing he does is pray. And it's not just a pray, a prayer. It's the first time someone in the world is praying Arvit, the evening prayer, the night prayer. Prayer that you don't have to pray, a pray. It's a prayer that you initiate, right? In halacha, in Jewish law, the third prayer of the day isn't obligatory in the strictest sense of the word. It became sort of obligatory because it became such a, 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 a basic custom, but it's a custom. According to the law itself, you have to pray twice a day. But Jews have accepted upon themselves the third prayer, which in essence is a, a voluntary prayer. 
So he, why? Because moving into this place of darkness, it's a place where you need to initiate. If you have an obligation to pray, that's, that's one level. But the thing is about coming out of Eretz Yisrael, which also goes along with coming out of the daylight space into the nighttime space, is nighttime space is now it's up to you if you want to be connected to God. And the first thing he does is, as I'm going into this darkness, and into this place of anger, and into this place that's ungodly, and that God hides his face, I need to initiate and add strength to my prayers. That's the first thing he does. And that's the first thing we all need to do as we're confronting these kind of moments in life in which we're dealing with a new level of darkness or a new level of hardship or a new level of falling or descending into this world. The first thing is I need to reconnect with what's above me. Also has to do with the vow it takes at the end of this segment, which is the vow that I'm going to return safely to my father's home. It's the vow that is really a repetition of the vow that was given to the soul, maintain your purity, he says, I vow that as I'm going into this world, I'm never going to forget who my father is, and I'm never going to let go of the dream of the hope to reunite with my father, which is, again, his father was this holy, righteous person who never left the land of Israel. So it's, the, it's, the, it's both the prayer at the beginning and the vow at the end that are extremely uh, uh, helpful in in, in in understanding what it is we need to uh, connect ourselves to inwardly as we're doing this Jacob-like step, taking this step to a, a, a more outside, you know, or dark place in the world. Second thing is he takes the stones and he puts them around his head. Rashi, the main commentator, says he he used those stones to protect him from evil animals, wild animals, dangerous animals that roam the place. But this raises a, a very big question. Why did he use the stones just to cover his head, to protect his head? His whole body needs protection, doesn't it? And the Hasidic answer goes, no. The whole idea is that you're entering a world of wild beasts, wild forces, that want to make you forget about your divine nature and your divine source and your divine purpose. And the thing is that your body needs to confront it. And your body also, also reflects your emotional soul powers. You need to invest those powers in this world. That's the point of the downward going angels, is that you invest in this world. However, you need to keep your head above the water. You need to protect your head so the stones that he put around his head are a protection that uh, although I'm going to invest my hands and my body in this world, I'm going to make sure that my head isn't invested, isn't, doesn't drown in this world. My hands need to go down, but my head has to, has to stay upwards. And this is famously used, this idea, regarding a verse from Psalms which says, um, you shall enjoy or eat uh, the fruit of the labor of your hands. So it's a very famous, you know, idiom based on this verse. You should, it's wonderful, it's beautiful if you enjoy the labor of your own hands. But the Hasidic interpretation says, why is, are the hands stressed here, the labor of your hands? My entire being was invested in those in that labor, wasn't it? So the, the interpretation goes, no. Your hands have to be invested in the labor, not your head. Your head has to be constantly connected to God. The idea is also that during the six days of work, from Sunday to Friday, you work, your hands are invested, but your head is constantly in Shabbat, in, on the Sabbath, on the seventh day. Your head is unified with God in the holy day. For, so for your head, the entire week is Shabbat. And only for your, your body, your hands, are they invested in this world. 
So, so this is another important tip or piece of advice that this segment of the parsha gives us. The first is praying, and then in the end we also have the vow that I shall return, not, not forget where I come from and I need to return. And then we also have that it's the evening prayer, that it's the prayer, the voluntary prayer, the prayer that I initiate, that I add strength to my prayer because that's the movement of going upwards. Right? The movement of prayer is the Yitzchak movement. Another thing we didn't say is those two camps of angels also stand for Abraham and Yitzchak. Abraham was all about the downward-going angels. He was a man of, of giving, of kindness, loving-kindness. He goes down into this world and helps people. And Yitzchak was all about the upward-going angels. He was in, a, in the land of Israel and just focusing on prayer and focusing on being connected upwards. And it's up to Jacob to, uh, to unite, to combine these two energies. So the two camps of angels are also his father and grandfather. Now, another thing. He wakes up from the dream and he says, Indeed, God is present in this place. He didn't realize it before. That's why he calls it the place of God. He thought outside of Israel is a non-godly place, an ungodly place, and, and that God isn't present there. The first thing he realizes from his dream, seeing all those angels and having God reveal himself to him, is that indeed God is also outside of the land of Israel. He just hides and you need to look for him. Whenever you're in an unholy place, a place that's the unholy space, that is like not Eretz Israel, is now you need to look for the sparks of God. And, and you don't see them on the, on the surface. On the surface, it's a place of wild beasts or wild forces. But God is present. You just have to look for him. Another thing that happens is that he has an incredible feeling of awe. He says that he was full of awe. And he, and he said, this place is also full of awe. He felt awe, and he, and he realized there is, so there, we have a subjective awe that he felt, and then we have an objective awe, or awfulness, or awesomeness of God present in this world. And in Chassidut, this becomes, it's a whole class in and of itself, but I'm just going to say the, the, the essence is that this verse, that he experienced subjective awe, but also the objective awfulness of God's presence in this world is that it would, this was a combination of not just knowing that God's awful presence is here, but being very personally connecting to it. That you connect, you, you realize that your own awe, you, you can't just know that there's an awful presence here. You have to feel at awe yourself. And and on a deeper level, this really means elevating your fears and transforming them to godly fear. At first, he feared animals, and he used the rocks to protect him. But when he wakes up, he realized that this was a, 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 uh, a fallen fear, or a fear that's, that's, that needs to be elevated, and become a fear of God. There's no, no reason to fear the animals. There's only one thing to fear. It's, it's famous that the Baal Shem Tov, before his father died, he told him, never fear anything. The only thing you need to fear is God. And, and it's not fear of punishment. It's fear of being disconnected from him. So he elevates his inner fear and connects it with the awe of God. So that's another piece of advice. The other piece of advice is that as we're going into these realms, new realms of darkness, new challenges, new hardships, we're, we're, we become fearful. But the thing we have to do is we have to remember that God is present in this place. This is the really awful thing, not the many physical awful things. They're not awful at all. They're just, it's all angels. It's all emissaries of God. It's all, you know, forces of nature doing his, his, he, what he told them to do. And so I need to transmute the sense of fear and only fear God, that is fear not doing what he wants me to do or what I need to do.
in this place. This is what I have to fear. Fear is there. You're going to experience fear, but you have to move, change, completely change direction and not fear what may harm me on the outside, but fear that as I'm facing that, I'm not going to do what I need to do. There are even stories, amazing stories about people who maintain their faith during the Holocaust. So there are many, many stories about people who lost their faith in the Holocaust. That's very famous. But there are also stories, you need to look for them, of people who maintain their faith in the Holocaust. And those people say, um, I knew that everything around me was hell, was a living hell. I knew I couldn't change it. But I knew that even in Auschwitz, and even if this is my last moments of life, and even as people are dying around me, and even if I don't know what's going to happen, each and every moment I have a choice whether I'm going to go to do the good thing or to do the bad thing. And this was what kept me going. And the rest is like, you know, there's an external drama that I can't help. I'm not afraid of them. I'm, I'm more, more than I'm afraid that the Nazi will kill me the next moment. I'm more afraid that I, in the last moment that I have to live, I'm going to do the wrong thing. That, that is more fearful for me than being killed. If I'm killed, I'm killed. Then my soul goes up to heaven. But if I do the wrong thing, then I betrayed myself, my duty, my soul. So this is an amazing, beautiful uh, example of what it means to transmute the external fear into an, an internal fear. So the fear is that I, the true fear is that this place is God-awful <laughs> in the original sense of the word. It's, there's, the awe of God is here, and I need to experience it personally and subjectively. And then the final two things we have here is that he takes the stones that he put around his head, and he pours oil on them. Oil suggests divine wisdom, always. That's a symbol of wisdom, of the deepest form of divine wisdom. Also has to, has to do with the upcoming holiday of Hanukkah. Hanukkah is all about the pure olive oil, which symbolizes the, the Torah wisdom, which is which is, you know escapes the eye of the Greek soldiers because it's it's more subtle than they can perceive. So this subtle kind of wisdom, he wants to take the physical world, the inanimate world of the stones, and which is this again, it's 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 the outside world outside of Israel. It's, it's descending into the level of the inanimate, and he wants to pour this wisdom of divine essence, divine wisdom over it to make sure that you're constantly remembering the secrets, the secret wisdom, hidden deep wisdom of God. And then finally, the final thing that he says is that he makes a decision to, to tithe everything that he earns, that is to give a tenth of everything that he earns, what is called in Hebrew, ma'asil, to God. The tenth part in Kabbalah is the Malchut, the Sefirah of Malchut, the final tenth Sefirah. It's the Sefirah that goes the most downwards, that descends into this world, but ultimately is also the source of going to the highest place above. And when he says, I'm going to do the tithe, the tithes, uh, he really says, I'm going to elevate all the sparks that are buried in this world. That's really... The vow that he makes isn't just the vow of going back to the land of Israel safely, it's also the vow that I will not come back until I elevate all the sparks, the holy sparks, which is my purpose coming out of the, of the holy land, uh, that I'm going to return them all to you, God. I'm going to make sure that every opportunity that I had to do the right thing, I'm going, I'm going to use that opportunity, and that, that means elevating the spark that's there. So to sum up, the opening of this parasha Vayete, which is all about coming out, coming out of your safe space, coming out of your holy place, coming out of your the place that you're at home with holiness, coming out into the unholy space, the dark space, the space of hardships, is we see that the first Jew, Jacob, the first Jew that was after Abraham and Isaac, the one who, who combines their energies and their purposes, and who merits to, to get the name Israel, 
he's given all these advices, all these images, starting with the image of the angels and continuing with every little thing that happens there. It's all about giving us the strength that we need to reconnect and connect with every increasing strength to the root of our souls in order to give us the power to go through this world and not forget who we are and in fact discover more and more who we truly are. So this is our Soul of the Parsha class for this week.